The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. Good morning, happy Monday. You're watching Squawkbox with Karen, Jeff, myself, Steve, and these are your headlines. Schools across England are expected to reopen on March 8th as the British government moves to ease lockdown restrictions. Rules are set to be removed in phases, uh, phases, but only after meeting four key conditions underpinned by the continued vaccine rollout. All adults should be offered a jab by the end of July. We now think that we have the supplies to be able to do that. A quick look at the yield curve. Real concerns amongst money, money men that actually the excessive rise we're seeing and with the 10 year now hitting 138, will it have ramifications for elsewhere uh, along the curve and elsewhere amongst other asset classes? Boeing ground some of its 777 aircraft after major engine failure forces a United plane to make an emergency landing, raising new questions around safety. HSBC accelerates its pivot to Asia, reportedly relocating some of its top executives from London to Hong Kong, while also preparing to announce an exit from its US commercial business. And China's foreign minister calls for the US to scrap tariffs to help reset the relationship after the, quote, immeasurable damage of the Trump years. We hope that US policymakers will keep up with the times, see world trends clearly, abandon biases, give up unwarranted suspicions and move to bring the China policy back to reason. Right, as I mentioned, happy Monday, everybody. Right, let's just get into the top story. Schools across England are expected to reopen on March 8th as the British government moves to ease lockdown restrictions. Now, rules are set to be removed in phases, but only after meeting four key conditions underpinned by continued vaccine rollout. The Prime Minister, Mr Johnson, will outline his plan to lawmakers. Hang on a second. Don't we already know all of this? The man's leaked everything. The government's told us everything. You can't pick up a newspaper for the last 24 hours. Well, anyway, apparently we'll find out at 8 p.m. CET. Right. Okay. UK Health Secretary Matt Hancock said the country must be careful amid the relaxation of measures. All of us understandably want to get back to normal. Uh, But it is right to be cautious. It's incredibly important. There are still almost 20,000 people in hospital with COVID right now, almost 20,000. And the vaccination programme, while it's clearly going very well, will take time uh, to be able to reach all people who have um, significant vulnerability, especially because we also need to get the second jab to everybody. So I'm just taking a look at Sterling on the screen here now. And I've got a five-year chart in front of me. Now, I reckon... I reckon, Karen Cho, that we haven't hit this level. She's in there in case I may float to her. Good morning. morning. Uh, Everything's going wrong. The viewer wouldn't even know that things are going wrong this morning. They wouldn't even have a clue that some people still think it's Sunday in our newsroom. Yeah, we're just running around the newsroom behind the scenes. (laughs) Making up headlines, doing all kinds of stuff between us. But uh, Jeff, I'm sure, is having a little wry smile in his his countryside idyll as we fight fires left, right and centre. Right, Okay. so I reckon that the pound hasn't been where we are since 
since about April 2018 as well. So there you go. So that's very interesting. The ascendancy finally overtaking 140. I hear that 143 is a bit of a target now. Do you agree from the start of the week that there's a big movement on the currency? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, well, yes, from moved. its lows. Yes, absolutely. Right. I know. I think we're totally agreeing, yes. Um, meanwhile, here's a chat we don't talk about very often. Ed Davey. He's an MP and he's also leader of the Liberal Democrats. Remember them? Yeah, they used to be quite a force. Anyway, we'll be joining Street Signs for an interview starting at 10.30 CET. Now, I am reliably uh, told and it has been confirmed to me that your wall is correct. Yes, uh, let's take a look at these markets across Asia. We've got patches of red for some of the key markets from Australia to China, Hong Kong, just drifting off in this session. Japan, in contrast to that, uh, chasing a little bit of green, about four tenths of a percent plus uh, higher at this stage, 138 points in positive territory. Markets picking up from what they saw from those US markets. And we can just switch this over and take a look. You can see it was a patchy old day of trade. A couple of big themes taking place. Investors still playing some recovery stocks. And you can see that in one of the big moving stocks on Wall Street for the Dow. That was Caterpillar. That stock uh, climbing around uh, some of the highs in uh, the trade. And this is interesting because it's about this recovery, reopening of economies theme. And Caterpillar has actually been about the second best performer among Dow components following Apple. So it is a story of recovery. Contrast that still where investors are playing some of the technology themes. Baidu, after its recent announcement about a joint venture around chasing the electric vehicle market with Geely, you saw some moves around a key executive appointment. That was one of the big moving stocks for the Nasdaq. So you can see very split stories on where investors are parking their cash around recovery to some of the technology names still. Treasuries, uh, this is one of the big themes for markets. We are talking about it all last week and we continue to talk about it this morning. We climbed to 1.36% last week, 1.38 almost on the trade this morning. Investors are concerned about just how steeply we have climbed on this trade. In fact, there are some reports out there by uh, various uh, asset managers and investment banks making a call that if we continue to surge from these levels, you may see a pullback on the market. City was saying a 10% pullback seems plausible if uh, rising bond yields hit mega cap IT names. And don't forget technology names were dragged higher on the old valuation argument that these high valuations were justified given the ultra low interest rates we were watching. But some of that theory is now breaking down as so we continue to rally on this 10 year. Other calls, Nomura was saying a move above 1.5% could unlock uh, an 8% drop in stock. So we are closely watching the implications of what you're seeing on yields. Same story too for Bitcoin to an extent as investors question just how the cryptocurrency will stand up in the face of rising yields. And Bitcoin did chase uh, some fresh records on the weekend above 58,000. Uh, and you can see uh, this morning we are traveling just a little bit weaker. That rally has stalled today. We're down 3.3% on the trade. Uh, some putting it down to yields, others saying well, maybe it's Elon Musk. Uh, we saw the Tesla boss actually making some downbeat comments on the cryptocurrency over the weekend, despite all the recent support and Tesla parking some funds in the Bitcoin trade. Elon Musk saying in a conversation that he did think that the Bitcoin and Ethereum price seemed a bit high, Jeff. Good morning, Karen. Good morning, Steve. I'm, I'm positively getting FOMO here in my rural idyll, thinking about the excitement uh, that must have been going on in the newsroom before the show came to air. Anyway, there'll be enough excitement for the markets, no doubt, in those yields that you were talking about, Karen. And let's spend a bit more time on this 
because I guess it is the main headline for the markets at the moment. Where are we going on inflation? Where are we going on treasury yields? Well, the New York Fed President John Williams has told CNBC he's not concerned about current valuations. Uh, Williams says the rise in asset prices and treasury yields are a sign that the economy is on the recovery path, but he also indicated that the Fed is likely to remain accommodative. What I see is the markets, especially the um, uh, Treasury market, responding to uh, some good news uh, on vaccination and progress there, um, and maybe reduced downside risks there, and news around additional fiscal support, which should you know accelerate uh, getting back to full maximum employment. So, you know, to my mind, these are we're seeing signs of rising inflation expectations back to levels that I think are consistent, uh, closer to consistent with our. Uh, 2% long run goal and signs of somewhat higher real yields off in the future, reflecting greater optimism in the economy. Well, let's pick this up with Giles Keating. He joins us from Bitcoin Swiss, where he's a director. Good morning, Giles. Let's wade straight in on this then, because there's good inflation and there's bad inflation. There are good reasons for Treasury yields to rise and there are bad reasons for Treasury yields to rise to do with issuance. Can I get your take on this? How worried or otherwise should equity markets be about the 10-year yields rise? Yeah, look, I think not not worried at all. This is a normalisation. Um, it seems very likely that 10-year yields will go up significantly more, uh, easily, I would think, breaking the 1.5% level. Uh, there may well be just a taking of breath in equity markets as that happens. But fundamentally, this is a normalization. It's a sign of growth. It's healthy. If we look at the forward yield on the S&P, Giles, it's only one and a half percent. If we get the 10 year Treasury yield beyond one and a half percent, what are the implications for the S&P and interest in owning equities? I think, to my mind, the normality is Um, equities, your total return is based on dividends and, of course, on future capital growth. Uh, And therefore, it's completely normal that uh, uh, you you, you have a a lower lower, uh, dividend yield. You still have a a higher potential total return uh, on equities. So as I say, I think as you have that kind of crossover, uh, yes, I think the equity market will take breath. There certainly can be a modest uh, setback. Um, And in fact, last week, you saw a little bit of that um, uh, in in stock markets. Um, And I think the other thing is is clearly trying to take out of the growth stocks into the the value stocks Um, didn't really happen. Maybe there is a bit more of that coming up. Maybe the tech stocks do pause for breath themselves and do underperform the general market a little bit. We heard that news uh, about Caterpillar uh, as an example of a stock that will clearly uh, benefit from recovery. So I think that's all part of the story here. But the idea that there's going to be a really major reset of equity prices, uh, I just don't buy it. And I think the trend in stocks is still up for this year. Giles, though, as we talk about some normalisation, there's a fear out there that you have seen 
pockets of bubbles, whether that's in the crypto space from Bitcoin to the SPACs, or these special vehicles where you're seeing listings take place. Do you think some parts of these these markets away from the technology thing where we have seen that rapid acceleration as well, do you think Bitcoin and SPACs could see some impact if there's a sort of letting out of some of the hot air or the excess in markets around this normalization phase? In, in crypto, in Bitcoin, it's quite natural uh, to have setbacks of 10, 20 percent. Uh, Bitcoin's already seen that once uh, this year um, and highly likely will get that kind of temporary setback again. But I would not see that breaking the trend. I think the trend in Bitcoin remains strongly upwards. Um, and that's all to do with greatly increased institutional interest, um, which has been very big these last several months, but is still only just beginning. There are lots and lots of institutional investors still who want to get into Bitcoin. And I think when you do get those small setbacks uh, in response to to perhaps a little bit of concern about the higher interest rates, you will actually see that being used as a buying opportunity. And again, I think Bitcoin will end the year strongly up now. Giles, we're seeing a strong commodity play again this morning. Commodity currencies have risen. Commodities themselves, uh, copper, for instance, uh, has traded up to a nine-year peak. We've seen oil prices jump along for the ride, a 22% bounce in Brent so far this year. Do you have any concerns that if we are seeing uh, a releasing of some of this uh, excess in the markets, that commodities actually face a little bit of a short-term setback? So I, I think the uh, the oil movement is obviously very, very much influenced by a lot of short term factors, including uh, that that terrible freeze uh, in Texas, uh, which has exacerbated that. If you look at the oil futures curve, uh, obviously it's it's in quite severe contango. Uh, so the market is telling us that that a lot of that will fade out uh, uh, over the coming months. Um, and uh, yeah, copper, I, I think. Copper's a bit of a mixture. I think it's partly gone up in response to the higher oil prices because, of course, copper is very energy intensive to, to mine that. But it is partly a positive sign uh, reflecting the, 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 the stronger growth. And I think those, as the oil price unwinds a bit, but as the economic growth story stays strong, gets stronger, uh, I think copper will be pulled in both directions. So I don't think that will be so much of a one-way ride. And I don't think we're going to see a real uh, explosion upwards in copper prices. But I think perhaps with some up and down, that can perhaps end the year modestly up, even from where we are now. Giles, good morning to you. Um, you're a director of Bitcoin Swiss AG, Argay. Do you get paid in Bitcoin? Uh, I certainly have had a number of very nice meals, uh, Steve, where we have paid for the meal in Bitcoin. Yeah. Um, but at the moment, I'm, I'm paid in Swiss francs. Uh, but I, I, although I wouldn't want to say too much, I haven't been averse to putting a little bit of that into Bitcoin. But, but uh, Steve, ultimately, the use case for Bitcoin, I can see exactly where you're coming from, uh, is not so much about a payments method, although there will be a bit of that. Uh, it, it is as a, an investment vehicle alongside currencies like Ethereum, and Polkadot, which really are about being used not as a payments mechanism, but as a form of uh, a, 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 the new financial economy of oiling the wheels 
uh, of the new fintech. So, so, Charles, let me just get something confirmed. You now of, of Bitcoin Swiss are saying that Bitcoin should not be used as a payments mechanism. I'm saying it can be and it will be. Uh, I have used it. Uh, many of my colleagues at Bitcoin Suisse have. Uh, and we have uh, an arrangement with one of Europe's largest payments providers to allow uh, our, our clients across Europe to use it as a payments mechanism. But the idea that it's going to take over from fiat currencies as a payments mechanism, we would never say that. Do you believe it will remain incredibly volatile as it has been, Giles? I actually think it will dampen down as more and more uh, institutional investment comes in there, more and more long term holders. People talk about it as a speculative asset, but I, I actually find that very ironic when it's been the longer term investors who've been coming in and, and driving the price up. So, sure, I think we'll still see a fair bit of volatility this year. But if I look forward over the next two, three, four years, as more and more Bitcoin is held in the hands of longer term investors, I think the volatility will come down. It'll still be there, but nowhere near as intense uh, as it has been in the past. Giles, can I ask you about the trade-off with gold? Because many have noted as yields have risen, gold as a hedge is losing a lot of its appeal. Is there a trade-off where Bitcoin holds up a little bit better uh, amid rising yields than, than gold at this point? I think the, the rising yields at the margin have a very slight uh, negative effect on, on Bitcoin, but it's so slight uh, you'll barely notice it. Uh, I mean, after all, one and a half yields are still very, very low, one and a half percent if we get there uh, in, in, in the 10 years. Um, even two percent, I'd say this, the argument still applies. And I think another very important point, most or many of the institutional investors who are buying Bitcoin are also buying other cryptocurrencies like Ethereum, and they can stake those currencies and get yields of 10 percent. Uh, in the case of others, uh, as much as 15%. So the yield that you can get on your broader cryptocurrency portfolio is still way ahead what you would get uh, on either bonds or equities in the conventional world. Mr. Keating, I remember a time when you'd be very dubious about anything paying 10 or 15% in a zero interest rate world. But we've got to leave it there for now, Giles. Enjoy talking to you today. Thank you very much indeed for that. Giles Keating, Director of Bitcoin Swiss. Okay. Well, coming up on the show, we have got an interview for you. This is fantastic. It's, it's almost as good as Giles. Uh, the potential listing of Porsche uh, would mark another milestone in the car maker's complicated history with its parent VW. Uh, we'll discuss that next. And Aneta will be speaking exclusively to the CEO of Porsche, Oliver Bloomer. I think we all are later this morning. Don't miss that at 8 CET. And just a reminder for more details on the easing of restrictions here in the UK, you can check out the Squawk Box podcast. Listen to CNBC's Beyond the Valley, the podcast that explores the biggest tech news from across the globe. Join me, Arjun Karpal. And me, Tom Chitty, every week as we bring you insights into the top stories, unpack the latest trends, and find out where the industry is headed. Now available on Spotify, Apple Music, and Google Podcasts.
Boeing has suspended operations of more than 100 of its 777 aircrafts. This comes after an engine on a United Airlines flight caught fire and fell apart, scattering debris in a Colorado neighborhood over the weekend. The plane was forced to make an emergency landing at Denver Airport. No one was injured. The Federal Aviation Administration has called for extra inspections of the 777 model. NBC's Tom Costello has taken a closer look at the damage. The video purportedly from onboard United Flight 328, terrifying. The right engine on fire, most of the covering gone. While on the ground, shrapnel and what appears to be the engine cowling in the front yard of a home in the Denver suburb of Broomfield. Nearby, more chunks and pieces littering a soccer field. It was just after 1 p.m. Mountain Time when the pilot on the 777 flying from Denver to Honolulu with 241 people on board declared an emergency. Mayday, Mayday, United uh, 28, United 328 Heavy, Mayday, Mayday aircraft. Uh, 328 Heavy, say again, please, can you read all that again? Yeah, United Denver uh, departure, United 328 Heavy, Mayday aircraft uh, just experienced a engine failure, need to turn immediately. On the ground, witnesses heard a loud bang, then saw a puff of smoke as debris began falling from the sky. They heard the boom, looked up and saw stuff just raining down from the sky, so we took uh, shelter. United says the plane experienced a rare uncontained engine failure where the engine fails and explodes rather than containing the failure. Despite widespread debris, no one on the ground was hit. Remarkably, we have had no injuries reported yet. So considering how nice the weather is today compared to last weekend, the amount of debris and how far it stretches, um, the dog park is right here, obviously the turf field behind me, and we have had no reports of any injuries. The incident drawing parallels to an uncontained engine failure three years ago on a Southwest Airlines flight that made an emergency landing in Philadelphia. One passenger was killed when the shrapnel punctured her window, pulling her from her seat. Today, no injuries. The flight landed safely at Denver International. Transportation Secretary Pete Buttigieg. I know that NTSB is already mobilizing so that they, uh, an independent agency, can provide uh, uh, right away information as they piece together what has happened. That was NBC's Tom Costello reporting. Um, just two things. One, obviously, you know, big inquiry will happen now with the FAA and what have you. But second thing, how cool was that pilot? <laughs> I know they pressure. are cool in these situations, but it's kind of like, yeah, just kind of. He sounded like he was slightly tense, but but obviously, but you know, made him. But he just, they, just the clarity. The, All the training kicks here. Yeah, you know, the they're training sort of kicks ready in. for this, aren't they? Brilliant. Well, well done them getting that plane down safely. Uh, shares in VW uh, closed this week on a high amid reports it could be looking to. When I say a high, the valuations are still very low. But yeah, but looking to. Spin-off um, or list its luxury car brand Porsche. Now, such a move would mark another watershed moment in the two car makers' complicated and, let's be honest about it, pretty fraught history in which Porsche holding company keeps a controlling stake uh, in VW despite having relinquished control of the car making business. Annetta joins us with more for this as well. Annetta, well, just, just talk us through the industrial logic as you see it for what we think will be happening here with Porsche as well. I have my own views, but it's more important to get yours now. 
Well, <clears throat> I think those plans, um, just to be very precise, are, are in very early stages. That's what um, is reported in other media. So, But the rationale is, um, or could be the one, which we are seeing also in other corporates like Siemens, but also Daimler, to make actually use of the brand value and to get more for that value. We have seen that with Ferrari, for example, that uh, one could uh, model Porsche like a luxury brand, and that could actually mean they could have a very high market value. But let me bring you back to uh, the history of Porsche and Volkswagen, because I think it's a very interesting story. It dates back actually to 1931 when Porsche was founded, and they were the creator of the famous Beetle, which then was produced by Volkswagen. And then, of course, to go like move fast forward um, to the days of the financial crisis, uh, when Porsche in 2005 started to take on a stake in Volkswagen, and that was only to prevent a takeover of Volkswagen by a foreman, uh, foreign um, car maker, because um, by then already Porsche was actually relying quite a bit on Volkswagen because they were producing parts of their vehicles uh, on their production sites. And then um, Wiedeking, the, the former CEO of uh, Porsche, secretly amassed a stake of more than 40% in uh, Volkswagen uh, by 2008. And then they had a, a formal takeover approach. They came out with that news, I think, in 2008 and then spooked the markets. And at that point, uh, short sellers were really badly surprised because Volkswagen was at the time a very low profitable company had a lot of short interest and that spooked the market and sent the shares of Volkswagen up to a thousand euro a piece and then uh, the financial crisis came and banks were really like getting a lot of concern about um, their their stake in, in Porsche and their lending. They had, I think, at that point, some 13 billion euro in loans outstanding to Porsche. Essentially, the whole story turned. They needed a white knight, Porsche at the time, because the banks wanted to have more uh, collateral against their, their loans. And then Volkswagen turned into their white knight and took them over. So essentially, the whole story turned again. It was back at the time a very fascinating story. The BBC, I think, was it who dubbed Porsche like the hedge fund with an attached car maker. So essentially, that's the story to cut short. And now we could see like a reversal of the whole story, because clearly it would be a, the, the, the financial logic behind to raise more money for the brand. And that would essentially make sense for Volkswagen, because analysts are saying that, for example, with other brands, they actually just buried the brand value of Lamborghini and also Bugatti. With that, back to you. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I, there's a lot of which I totally concur with, which, you, which you've got a lot of sympathy around this desk from the last few years. We've all been saying similar stuff. Look, Oliver Bloomer is a great guest. You'll be leading our interview on that one. Uh, I might introduce you as well. Uh, HCET on this one as well. Um, uh, Karen, I mean, we just before we uh, let me do this next read quickly. But VW is reportedly weighing whether to sell off its Bugatti brand, as uh, Annette just mentioned, uh, to the electric supercar maker Rimac Automobili. Rumors of the sale have been floating since last year, but have resurfaced again after Porsche CEO Oliver Bloomer told German media at the weekend that the brands would make a good fit. Just very quickly on this one, I don't know if we've got a lot of time. 
as far as I can see, you've got luxury car makers, which are potentially comparable to Ferrari, trading at about a quarter of the price. Yeah, I mean, we've all seen a terrific run-up in Ferrari stock. This year it's come, come off a little bit, but very, very strong incline yeah. if you take a look at that the last uh, couple of years. And yet there is a warning out there for everyone. Not all stocks uh, that are luxury in the car makers space are created equal. And if you want to know how it can go badly wrong, have a look at the Aston Martin share price since their listing. Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market-moving news, you can head to cnbc.com. Or join us again on the show with Jeff Cutmore, Steve Sedgwick and Karen Cho. Weekdays on CNBC.